could be catastrophic failure. And I'm learning how to be more comfortable with that because that's actually beautiful and fine and a learning process. So I feel like that's my horizon is there's probably going to be a lot that doesn't work out and a lot that is really uncomfortable, but allowing myself to kind of grow in that direction of discomfort and become increasingly comfortable with that process is actually really exciting and empowering. Welcome to Therapist Expanded, where we start a mental health revolution by living our dreams fully and freely beyond industry conditioning and taking every client with us because we'll only take them as far as we've gone. So join me, your host, Aaron Gibb, and my trailblazing guests and be revolutionary by expanding your mind and your life to your freest and fullest potential. Hello, revolutionaries. If this is your first time listening, welcome to the podcast. And if you're a repeat listener, welcome back. Today, I am interviewing the wonderful Dr. Nicola DePaul. Nicola is a kindred spirit who's doing some similar work in the world. And she can be found on her podcast, Menders. You'll learn more about that in the show notes. In the show notes, you'll also find a link to my Monday Mind Up email list. This is a bite-sized, mindset-shifting, weekly message to keep you aligned with your dreams. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Dr. Nicola DePaul. Well, Nicola, thank you so much for coming on Therapist Expanded today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me, Erin. Wonderful. I'm very excited. So I'll start with the first question, which is tell us about yourself, your work, and your passions in the field. Yeah. So, um, well, I'm a mom. I am a coffee lover. I am a walk lover. Um, I guess I'm, I'm many other things. Um, but my passions, I guess, who I am as a person, I think really does impact my passions in the field. Like when you say that, what really comes to mind for me is clinician well-being. So taking care of ourselves, taking care of each other, taking care of our colleagues, taking care of our, our trainees and the people who are, I guess, coming after us and creating the momentum for the future. So. So that's that's kind of me in a quick nutshell, but um, mentoring and mentoring and caring for people, I think, has really been the like most consistent piece of my my professional life, really my whole career. Beautiful. I can feel the energy around that when you said my passions. And that's beautiful, this idea of taking care so that the next generation of therapists coming in, those coming after us, are supported. I can completely relate as someone who takes on students. Um, I love that aspect of it, to see somebody's career trajectory, hopefully in some way be impacted to prevent burnout, compassion fatigue, vicarious trauma. and so. This may be personal, but I imagine from knowing people that you have gone through something in your career 
that has led you to want to help others not have the same experience? Yeah, I mean, I think so two things. One, my early career was spent in an international, like a a global health leadership development program. And so that for me provided a framework for how we take care of people and also how we think beyond just our local setting, because the, the really amazing leadership development academics who I was working with at the time were always thinking about think global, act, act local. Like how can we do both of these things? So that's kind of my big picture. And I think one of the reasons I think about taking care of students, trainees, it's like capacity building for our future. And then for me personally, you're right. (laughs) You know, I had that experience of burning out. So becoming a clinician was, I guess, in some ways, my second career. I'd worked for several years in academia, not as a a PhD, but, you know, as an administrative kind of um, level person. And I love that. Went back, got my PhD in clinical psychology and felt very belittled in the process and also felt like I'd kind of lost myself. Um, But, you know, made it through, established myself in a career, found myself on a team that I really loved and cared about. And then, um, you know, invested my blood, sweat and tears and then burned out like very, very officially and impressively working for a really large healthcare organization um, with a never ending amount of need. And for me, one of the things that was really relevant, um, I'd had my, my child and went on my maternity leave and didn't realize how burnt out I was. And I think this is going to sound a little strange, but I, I think in some ways maternity leave and having a child were like my way of having a legitimate reason to leave for and take a break. And, um, I mean, that's kind of horrifying, Mm. but like I needed, I needed something that gave me permission to have a timeout. And then I had the timeout. I went back to my organization and I realized like this institution does not care about me as a person at all. And it was a really challenging transition back. You know, I wasn't, I was not ready to go back into clinical work. And I think the challenge for us as clinicians, like we, we are asked to do things all the time that don't necessarily feel good. And we're asked to take care of other people when we're not necessarily caring for ourselves. So like for me at the time, I was not sleeping. I had this infant who was definitely not sleeping. And then she wasn't (laughs) nursing (laughs) or taking a bottle. So I was like, oh my goodness, I have this kid who's not eating and I'm really stressed. I'm having panic attacks and here I am serving others. Like there's no way. And so it it was kind of a, a slow disaster and, you know, nothing thankfully bad happened. Though I think I was really just sacrificing my well-being by staying in that position. And so I left and made a series of pretty significant changes to like have boundaries, implement myself 
I had always done self-care, but like implement my boundaries and have institutional boundaries. And there's a lot of pressure, which perhaps you can identify with to put the organization first. And so for me, I had kind of maybe the last three or four years is this process of unlearning um, kind of that self-sacrificing model in order to simply be present and still be an excellent clinician um, to care for others, but also to care for myself as a human and and myself as a parent. Mm. You said so very many things there that I imagine people can relate to strongly. When you said, this sounds so wild that I'm saying I needed permission, I would put a lot of money on that. Maybe every person who will listen to this can identify some of that um, in this work of helping. You know, there's this weighing process. I don't know. And I no, I'm pretty confident if anyone has a child, the morning you find out that they're sick, this feeling that comes over like, well, what do I do? Who's going to stay home? Can I stay home? Who do I have on my caseload today? And kind of, yeah. And we go into that place. I've tried to decondition myself of doing that, but I can relate very strongly. And I can also relate on the think globally and act locally. I think that shifts our perspective. It reminds me of being on your podcast, how we talked about how do we overcome these institutional barriers where people come up against, can't do that. No one does that. There's not money. And it's like, look outside of what our little sphere here, look outside. And the same goes for what we tell ourselves isn't possible to get out of those situations. But we have to first do what you did, which is realize we're even in them. Because this is so insidious. Nobody signs up for these jobs and goes like, I can't wait to burn out in like 18 months. You know, I know that's where I'm heading. I get that. No way. No one's going to sign up for that. It is a subtle, slow burn into that. Yeah. Yeah, that's really true. I don't think anybody does plan to burn out, but almost everybody I know has. And somebody in the heart, in the height of my burnout, a dear friend and colleague of mine said something about burnout being a wake-up call, you know, that we needed to do things differently and pay attention and care for ourselves. And it did not hit me in the best way in the moment. Cause I think I was just overwhelmed, but, you know, thinking about it in the years since, like it's, it's been a really empowering conversation. Cause I think he was able to see where I was, even when I wasn't able to acknowledge that and see that. And I did make major shifts. And I think that, you know, I don't think that I think if I had not burned out quite so, you know, impressively or catastrophically that I would have made the major life changes and taken the risks that I, I did. Mm -hmm. That's always that maybe post-traumatic growth, you could call Mm -hmm. it where we look Mm -hmm. back and realize that it happened for us, not to us, but you put out a good kind of tip there. I know people can be rubbed for when I say things personally, like we are completely limitless And anything other than complete limitlessness is just the story we're telling ourselves. People bristle, right? Responsibility when we're overwhelmed and in pain can feel like too much, but it's the ultimate in freedom is when we take full responsibility for ourselves. Once we're ready to, 
It's the only way we can really do the kind of changes you're talking about by taking full responsibility for just ourselves, not everything else. We then have the ultimate empowerment. But sometimes we're not ready at the beginning to hear that we have all that power. Yeah. Can take time. Yeah. yeah. And it, it, what you're saying makes me think of, um, you know, healthcare leaders and I do work with institutions or a lot of departmental leaders. And I think it's really easy for people to think, well, maybe I should say to focus on what they actually don't have control over, which is often the actions of patients or the actions of their staff. And to try to influence those kinds of actions instead of taking the step back and thinking about, well, what are the things that I actually can influence? And when you let go of, I guess, taking responsibility for what you can't actually change, it's much more easeful and it's much more empowering and relationships tend to just be much smoother. And, you know, it's not like it's a panacea, but I do think that that takes a lot of the pressure off the elements of the system. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that having that shift eases up things like frustration and resentment as well, because when we can't control people who work in the organization and the clients, the patients, yeah, I mean, that's going to be very, very frustrating and it's going to use up a lot of energy. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I know the words that come to me when I asked my clinical supervisor, who's I believe he's 77 now. Uh, Such a lovely man. He's still working in the field very regularly. He does not want to retire. He tried that. He doesn't want to do it because he just really loves it. But I can see that there's something he isn't holding, right? He's well in the field in, in this way. I mean, you know, we all have our things with clients that there's, you know, different pockets of where we can take more responsibility or get disempowered. But I asked him, how have you stayed well for over 50 years of doing this? And he said, I act responsibly. I don't take responsibility. And that has been like a sifting system for me, a way to discern. And it's like, am I acting responsibly or am I taking responsibility? And so what I hear in what you're saying is organizations need to move away from taking responsibility for what isn't theirs anyway. We can't control any of what those people are going to do. We can try, but it, it often is better to act responsibly and take care of those people, right? Nurture those people. You have employees that are not performing. Yeah, they probably aren't performing for a reason. Yeah. 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 I, I love that. I think that allows you to kind of step back and just consider that you're the employees or the people in your organization are probably there for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. And they're probably there because they actually care about their mission, your mission, want to do work that's meaningful. And also, you know, for whatever reason might struggle with that, but acting responsibly. I mean, for me, oftentimes that's just so, so basic, you know, listening actually hearing what people are concerned about and being responsive to needs. You know, in my organization, there's a lot of heartburn over physician turnover 
And that's a big deal because if you lose a physician, it's, it's both extraordinarily expensive and it has a huge impact on patient care or access to patient, um, to clinical care. And it also has a big impact on morale. But, you know, one of the things that I have noticed is that um, there's not always attention to the concerns that are raised by physicians that are pretty simple, you know, really common themes in terms of like, we would like flexible work schedule, or we would like the schedule that we were hired, you know, hired with. We, we need the organization to act with integrity. And so when organizations don't act in responsible ways to provide the basics, then the outcomes are often pretty nasty and um, and sometimes traumatic for the organization or the employees within them. But, you know, I think for me, it just comes down to taking really simple actions much of the time. And that goes so far. Absolutely. When I think about running a practice, there are a lot of opportunities to assume what people want and need, even going beyond those basics. Mm-hmm. That when you look at what do people most value? And so with our situation, people are their own business. But still, as an organization that we're a collective of, of business owners, it's like we're providing something. And so what do people most value? Just doing surveys, Mm. anonymous surveys. It's incredible. This can be done for clinicians who are listening to this, who have clients that you don't even have to be. You could be in any realm of the helping field and offering anonymous surveys. It is quite impressive what we assume. Um, And organizations may be assuming that a doctor's salary covers all sins. That then, oh, they make so much. And then, so we can move this around a little bit, you know, if they have to cover here and there. But it becomes like a, a distressing, you know, lack of integrity. Or we just found it was surprising what people wanted. And when we weighed out things like what's more important, this or that, it's not all about money for people either, which was kind of cool to see. And I imagine if they pulled those doctors, I'm just kind of spitballing here, but if they pulled them anonymously, They'd be able to say, they may even consider a bit of a pay cut to have Mm -hmm. that flexibility, to have the work-life balance, to not be struggling. And doctors, I I think, are unique in that they can be struggling a lot from the vicarious trauma, burnout, and compassion fatigue of endless suffering in their job. But there is a lot of stigma around them getting the help they need, going for mental health support, for example feel really trapped. Yeah. I mean, I think that's true for physicians, nurses. I think it can be true, maybe a little less true for clinicians, psychologists, or therapists. Um, But I know, I know for myself, I have, you know, I have gotten my own mental health support and seen therapists at different points in my career. And I've had some teams where I was very comfortable talking about that. And some teams where you know, I wouldn't dream of talking about that because that wouldn't be, you you know, that would be outside of the norm, I think, of what is considered okay within some organizational or team cultures. And so for me, I have been thoughtful about that. 
Um, but I don't, I guess I don't necessarily think that's a good thing. I think we need to be really open about our own challenges and need for help. That's, that's a core value for me. It's beautiful. Cause I think that's what we're doing in this moment, mm-hmm. right? Putting out this message to people that may already know, but sometimes it takes re-reflecting on these things to see the power we have, to see what we're really struggling with and to go out and get that help and to see beyond the conditioning in these organizations and in education. You talked about how difficult it was to be that PhD student and it's quite incredible what years of a certain type of conditioning will do to your self-concept. Whether you look at higher education, very elitist, very hierarchical, very negative towards students. And there's a lot of recovery that, and then we jump into a very traumatic field and it's kind of this, I'm using air quotes, kind of this perfect storm where many of us feel like we're undeserving. And then we get just loads of work and trauma and struggle and suffering and, and then end up in this place, but don't often realize it. So many people have this kind of wake up call with what you were describing, which is where for me, I thought I had done this work for years, teaching this work. And then COVID hit and I was like, oh, I am still shooting and musting. When everything dropped away, I was like, I still want to see one less hour and a half client a day. It's just the reality. I'm going to let myself do it. I'm just going to do it now because the world actually didn't explode when everything was dropped off my plate. So dropping that hour and a half really But it it took that to, again, see another layer for me of where I was making myself tolerate discomfort that wasn't in anyone's best interest. It wasn't necessary. Just a story I was telling myself. Yeah, I think for me, too, something that I know that I used to do, I do think I have made progress in this area, but not 100%. But um, I in my past, especially have gained a lot of self-worth through that struggle and the sacrifice and the, how many patients did I see today and how many of my lunches did I miss this week and how, you know, how late did I stay or, Oh, was I late picking up my kid? Oh my Mm -hmm. goodness. You know, so to find my self-worth in that kind of push beyond what is healthy, um, is, is deeply problematic and not consistent with my values. And yet so easy because I think it is so reinforcing in the moment. Like it feels really good. And it's also rewarded by, by people around us. Oh, yes. That is so beautiful. I'm honored with your vulnerability to share that because it's not easy to share what some might call kind of our ego or a shadow of like, I am getting some sort of feedback from this that I know is also deeply unhelpful to me. So I really commend you for sharing that. (laughs) My my pleasure. There's an excellent book for entrepreneurs um, called Clockwork by Mike Mm -hmm. Michalowicz. And it's a newly expanded and revised. It just came out and he talks about clockwork is really about a business model of how we learn we're holding our business back and how, when we get out of the way, our business can really thrive. He speaks to this point in an entrepreneurial way where he speaks about how most people, when they learn his model, 
the thing that keeps them from implementing it, and it's a brilliant model, is that they need to be needed in the business. They have to be part of it. And he really talks about how wonderful, like get your business to run without you and then insert yourself into the best place for you that you actually want the most. But that whole getting it to run without us, mm-hmm. feeling like we're not so needed, it can be very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're reminding me of um, Gay Hendricks' book and The Big Leap. I, I love think. it. Oh, amazing book. Mm-hmm. And for me, I just love that book because it's all about getting out of essentially the zone of work into the zone of just who we are in at the most innate level so that what we're doing and what we're spending our time with is it's just like love and joy. It is just who we are and who we are meant to be. And that for me, that is where, that is what I am trying to do or where I am trying to go. But on a day, not in the future, like a day by day basis. And of course, it's not always easy to do that. And I, I slip, but it's so powerful when I'm able to find myself in that place and kind of ride in that, that current. Totally. His zone of genius is something that, that I, aspire to. And I know that I can work in my zone of excellence and feed everyone around me works out well. I can be a group practice owner forever and not have become a therapist coach. It seemed risky, but my zone of genius is about the kind of conversations that we can have. So that sort of leads me to my first question, which is what does mental health revolution mean to you? Yeah, I was thinking about that. And I think my answer is actually really simple. And it's just fully being myself in every area. And not just myself, but having everyone be empowered, I think, to fully be themselves. And maybe it speaks to that zone of genius concept. But I've been thinking a lot about, you know, my own daughter. I have a three and a half year old, and she is very different from me. And I want her to be fully empowered to to live in her strengths and in her zone of genius and every other kid in her, you know, tiny tots classroom and every person in our our world. And I think it is like creating space or maybe the belief that if everyone shows up as we truly are, um that there is not just a place for us, but that there's our contribution is completely invaluable and irreplaceable and so much bigger and more expansive than if we show up in the like societal expectation type of way. So to me, that is what that is about, just allowing and empowering every person to be fully who they are in every space. We couldn't agree more. The ripple effect changes the world. If we all live the life we came to live, not for anyone else. Yeah. So when we're in our zone of genius, it benefits everyone. It benefits the planet. So yeah, absolutely. And 
given what we were talking about earlier about how easy it is to be indoctrinated to self-sacrifice over responsibility taking disempowerment in our field to me that's why this is so important because it can start with us we as clinicians can do what you're saying and it has such a ripple effect yeah thank you that leads me to the next question which is I'm going to start it in a different order, actually, which is when have you done that? When have you really taken a risk, gone after a dream or desire and really lived the truth of yourself? I mean, honestly, I hope I'm doing it right now. Um, You know, both with this conversation, um, but also just in my general life, I think. So for me, something I... I struggled with in the past was like being open, honest, and vulnerable. And I'm, you know, I'm sure there are lots of reasons why, and I haven't super analyzed that. Um, I think part of it is my training and I'm, I'm sure there are cultural upbringings and things, but, um, but for me learning to recognize that it's actually safe to be radically transparent, vulnerable, simply who I am Um, And who I am in relationship has been really powerful. And so that is something that I have been endeavoring to do, not like for the sake of, I don't, I I guess I'm I'm not, uh, not for the sake of just being transparent for the sake of like showing my rawness, but like actually for the sake of offering the people in my life the real opportunity to have me actually in their life. Um, So that is something that I have been really learning to embrace. And I would say, you know, really over just the last couple of years. And then as I have done, like started living into that and kind of given myself myself permission instead of asking for the external permission to do that um you know that has just led me to do other things like my own podcast um menders which is it's the only way I can describe it is like that is what I am meant to do you know having these types of conversations being present with people thinking connecting with like the bigness of reality and life and expansiveness and creativity. Um, And I think creating artwork in relationship, because that's how I think about it. Um, Like that is really me fully growing into, you know, that, that full sense of who I am. Um, So I, I think I'm living in that zone or, endeavoring to live into that zone currently which is really fun and exciting and of course I still have moments like in this last week where I realize like oh I'm operating out of alignment with myself or my values or I'm trying to please you know someone else in my family and and they don't even want me to do that so kind of catching that and then bringing myself back to my core values again it's a constant, I guess it's just like mindfulness practice where you catch it, you come back, you catch it again, you come back. And it's, I don't, there's probably no perfection there, but I, I'm in that catching it and bringing it back process. Thank you. Beautiful. And then the last question that I have, 
is can, and you kind of have touched on this, it's the other side of the coin. And it's maybe a time you have held yourself back from fully living a dream or desire, or it's a place where you have a horizon and you're kind of like, ooh, I don't want to get to that yet. It could be either or. It's it's past or it's something you're maybe not yet doing, but you know you'd Mm. like to. Yeah, that's that's a good question. I guess I have thoughts on both sides. Um, I think the horizon for me is is kind of where I'm headed next, which for me is trusting myself to step into bigger organizational work. And I'm proud of myself for what I've done and what I've, I guess, trusted myself to do so far, because that full imposter syndrome certainly creeps in. Um, and and you know, I'm I am excited to kind of push myself further. And just kind of let go of the outcome or expectations. Like, yeah, it could be catastrophic failure. And I'm learning how to be more comfortable with that because that's actually beautiful and fine and a learning process. So I feel like that's my horizon is there's probably going to be a lot that doesn't work out and a lot that is really uncomfortable, but allowing myself to kind of grow in that direction of discomfort and become increasingly comfortable with that process is actually really exciting and empowering. So I think, I think that's where I'm headed next. Beautiful. Well, I thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And I wonder where can people find you? Yeah, well, it's my pleasure and privilege. Thank you so much for having me. Um, folks can find me at mendinghealthsystems.com. Uh, And you can also find my podcast most places, not everywhere. We're working on that. Um, But my podcast is called Menders, Love and Leadership in Health Systems. So you can find me there as well. And I'm pretty easy to reach in either of those places. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much again, Nicola. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Therapist Expanded. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast to help more of our colleagues join the revolution.